the supremacy of Christ. Jesus is better. Now, when you think about that, is there, is there relative? Is he like six degrees better or four degrees better? Or will Kentucky win by ten points today? You know, it's, it's a human thing, isn't it? To, to be able to say better. He is other. God is other. But the writer of Hebrews takes that and puts it in language that's better for us to understand, easier for us to understand. And he begins comparing Christ. And he says, how about the angels? Now, I'm assuming no one here has seen one. Maybe someone has. But when you read about them in Scripture, you see they are terrifying creatures to come upon you. And most people fall down in worship when they run into an angel. They are somehow majestic and somewhat glorious. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, nothing, nothing on Jesus. There's nothing at all. You see nothing there. And those that he wrote the book to, and by the way, most people thought Paul wrote the book. Those that he wrote the book to, they knew of Moses. He was a legend beyond legends in our people's history. And they look back and they, what an amazing, great, he was a friend of God. He was, he was just an amazing man. He, he went up, he spoke with God, and he was a leader amongst leaders, Moses. Jesus is better. How about all the priests you know, there have been generation after generation after generation of priests in the Old Testament. They went, the high priests went into Holy of Holies once a year. Those, there were some great men who did that over the space of time. And the writer of Hebrews say, he's better. How about that, that strange guy, Melchizedek, in the Old Testament? That kind of the guy from Salem, no one knew where he came from. He just kind of came and showed up there. How about him? He was a super duper, nope. Jesus was better than him. The writer of Hebrews is clearly stating to us, Jesus is better. He's also saying this, his work is better. Not just he in the person, but his work is better than anybody else's work. You can't even compare. It was better than uh, any sacrifice that was offered by the high priest. You know, they would have to go in day after day, and it needed to be repeated, these sacrifices over and over and over again. His sacrifice was not like that. He led a perfect life. Not, we were talking about just a little while ago, that one little small sin or that one little thought that's kind of leading to He never had any of those, never. He led a perfect life, and he died a crushing death, a perfect sacrifice. You know, that whole Old Testament system, the sacrificial system, was set up to point to the one who would be the sacrifice. Now, I would bore you up here, even though some of you, a few, maybe a minority would view as interesting to go through all of the grain offerings and the sin offerings and the peace offerings, because to our modern ears, it doesn't connect. It's not a way of life for us. But if you can imagine the readers of of the letter to Hebrews, that had been a way of life for thousands of years. Year after year after year, day after day after day, that was the way it worked. Someone went in and a sacrifice was made. It's hard for us to imagine the culture. In fact, in the 10th chapter of Hebrews, the writer says this, day after day, meaning every day, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. They were never intended to take away sin. They were intended to point to the one who would 
take away sin. The 12th verse says this, but when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, you know, often when I teach and preach, uh, uh, sometimes, you know, I'll, have, um, I'll go somewhere and, and preach, and it'll be something I've preached before, you know, and you kind of add and, and, and whatever, and you go from here. Uh, this week as I came here, the Lord kind of put this on my heart for you guys, and you'll see why in, in just a minute. But I often wonder when I'm preaching to a group like this, I wonder, is that new news to you? Or is it just kind of, yeah, we know that. And, and, and for me sometimes, because I've been around, kicking around Christianity for a long time, it's like, yeah, I know, I know Jesus lived a perfect life, and I know he died a, a, a death. Th- that's not new news to me. But for some of you today, it may be. And if it is, I want to speak to you just, just for a minute. That's our, that's our story. We just want to tell you that. That's our story. Our story is this. It's, it's, it's our hope. I sin. He sins. I know Tim well enough to know he sins. We all sin. We all sin. And Jesus paid the price. Our lead teacher, Randy Pope, says it so well and so eloquently. He says, you know what? At the fall, we lost it all. Every bit of it, we lost it all. And and Jesus paid it all with that one sacrifice. And because of that, we get it all. It's a simple story, and it's elegant, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful. That's that's the story of our religion. So for those of you here who might be saying, "Ah, I'm just kind of checking out the claims. I don't know. I'm just wondering about this. We just want to encourage you, ask somebody, explore even more. But but that's our story, and, and we're sticking to it until kingdom comes. Now, the good news and even better news than that, in addition to that, on top of all that, we get more. We get more. And the, the writer of Hebrews goes on over and over and over again. He's just trying to convince you. Be overwhelmed by the fact that, hey, this is better. This is a better way of life. This is a better religion. Jesus is better. Look, 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 look. He goes on to say this. Hey, we have confidence now to enter the holy place. You know, in the Old Testament, only the high priest could go in there once a year. Now, Jesus takes us in there with him. We can go into the holy place now. We don't shrink back, he talks about. He says, we believe and we're saved. We have faith as those who have gone before us have faith. We've been given the gift of faith. Now, he, he goes on to talk about, hey, in this lifetime, you might not get the promise. You might not get everything. You might not get what you were looking for here. But even in spite of that, we should throw off whatever is hindering us, whatever is encumbering us, whatever our challenges are, and run the race with perseverance. Fixing our eyes on Jesus because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Now that's just an ad lib all the way through the book of Hebrews. He says also, hey, struggle against sin. He says endure hardship. Uh, Even if the Lord disciplines you, endure that also. Why? Because we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. That's the hope of us going forward as a church. 
individually as Christians and collectively as a body, we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. Now, now I know when I say that for some, you would say, I'm being shaken. My life circumstances now. We grieve for that. We want to minister to that. This church wants to minister to you. And we will not back up from the truth that we believe we are receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. The kingdom came, is coming, and it will come, even in the midst of circumstances that we find now. So that was 12 chapters of Hebrews. I just got to skip through for you just to get to the 13th chapter. By the time the writer gets to the 13th chapter of Hebrews, you know, you see some other books in the Bible, uh, and hopefully this won't be viewed as sacrilegious. Sometimes you get to the last chapter in a book of the Bible, and, you know, your outline book of Romans or 1 Corinthians or whatever you're talking about, the, the meatiness of this and the meatiness of this. And, you know, these guys come examinations before our presbytery, and they're talking about Romans 3 and Romans 7 and Romans 8 and all those things. And then they get to Romans 16, and they go, and some final greetings. And they get to First Corinthians, the last some, some greetings in the last chapter. And you see a lot of these books, and it's kind of like, well, there's some greetings in the last chapter. We know that. He's kind of ending the whole thing. He's kind of wrapping it up. Maybe he should have finished the chapter earlier, but he threw this kind of, hi to my friends kind of thing. By the time the, the writer of Hebrews gets to 13, you, you could think, boy, he has just said it all. And, and I want to encourage you when you hear the preaching of the word here on a Sunday morning to be able to take at least part of your week and, and go back through that. Reading through the book of Hebrews would be wonderful for you this week. Just say, I want to meditate on what God has to say there. You get to chapter 13 and you would think, okay, there's going to be some greetings and some bits and pieces and, and, and we're going to be finished here. What he does is this. He says, um, I want to exhort you, love one another. Boy, that's a theme in Scripture, isn't it? And we could do that better, love one another. Entertain strangers. That'd be good for you to be hospitable. Do marriage well. He talks about that a little bit. And then he circles back to Jesus, and that's the heart of our text this morning. He started with the supremacy of Christ, that Jesus is so much better and he's coming back and he's saying, Jesus is so much better and here's why. And here is a practical application for you to take with you as you go, as you re- read the end part of this book. Jesus is better and his work is best. Let me read our text for today. It um, starts in chapter um, 13, the, verse, uh, the 11th verse. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we don't have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the the fruit of lips that confess his name. And don't forget to do good, to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no advantage to you. It's the word of God. I want to start with the 17th verse. You'll notice in your handout that I started with the 17th verse, and then we're going to unpack the rest of the verses and hook it all together for you this morning. I want to deal with this whole idea of obeying 
in this whole idea of submitting. Now, first of all, let me say this. You have leaders here at the church. You have elders, ruling elders who have been called by God and have been affirmed by this congregation. People laid hands on them to anoint them as leaders here. And you are about to have a new teaching elder here who will come. And he too has been called by God and affirmed by the congregation. He'll be installed. Someone was talking about his installation service that will be coming up. That is all from God for his people at this time at this church. Now, I don't know uh, how often you guys read the book of church order here. Many people will say if you have insomnia, it's a great uh, text for you to read. If you can't sleep late at night, you go read the book of church order. Uh, as stated clerk of Metro Atlanta Presbytery, I have, to view, uh, have a little higher view of that because it's part of my role over there. So I want to read to you the questions that you're going to be asked when your pastor comes here. Number one, do you, the people of this congregation, continue to profess your readiness to receive the man you have called to be your pastor? Are you ready? Do you promise to receive the word of truth from his mouth with meekness and love and submit to him in the due exercise of discipline? Do you promise to encourage him in his labors and to assist his endeavors for your instruction and spiritual edification? Those are the questions you'll be asked. I'd love for you to begin thinking between now and then Meditate, maybe even going and looking at the section of the book. And, and somehow for the Lord to well up in your soul, not just a, yeah, yeah, I'll raise my hand, but a yes. Yes, the Lord has made us ready to receive him. The Lord has called us to submit to him and the leadership here. And the Lord has called me to encourage him in his labors. That it would be a joy for him and a joy for this congregation. For, for, for the teaching elder and the ruling elders to be able to lead you and encourage you in the Lord. Now our text in verse 17 says that your leader should keep watch over you. That's their duty. So if you're a ruling elder here, you know that. It's your responsibility. You're going to have to give an account at some point in time for how you've led and shepherded and loved this flock. We don't want your work to be a burden. And we know at the same time this. Leaders are not right in all things. No doubt. Leaders make mistakes. But they've been called by God to shepherd and to love. Now about this word obey. In the 17th verse it says obey. And you know in America we are rugged individualists aren't we? We're, we're like, we're not going to, who do you think you are? Yeah, I'm not, no one's going to be in authority over me. We, we're, we're, we're for freedom. We're for independence. We're, we're going to go and do those things. You know, the British aren't going to have rules over us. No one's going to rule. We're Americans. That's who we are. It's part of our identity. And further, frankly, it's part of our sin nature that we want to be free from everything and everyone, even God. We want to be independent of him. So the text is calling us to rein that in. What does it mean for you to obey it's a hard word. Here's the Greek. And my Greek pronunciation is not very good ever. Patho. It's the Greek word there, patho. And here's what it means. 
it's in this I'm no Greek scholar at all, but I'm going to tell you that that's the that's the present imperative middle form of the word patho. And here's what it means. It means to persuade. This will help you shape your meaning here. It means to permit oneself to be persuaded, to yield to persuasion, to open yourself up to be persuaded. It doesn't mean to blindly obey, go, do. It means to open yourself up to be persuaded. The authority of a Christian leader is not command. It's not a command authority. It's a servant authority. And it's it's an authority of persuasion to persuade you. Do you want to be persuaded? It really is in many aspects what the Christian life is about, to be persuaded, to be changed. It's what the Lord calls us to do. If you're a leader here, your role is as you are being persuaded, you are called to persuade others that, as our author of Hebrews would say, Jesus is better. So as we have the confession here, I, I, I let you guys in on my personal life a little bit. You probably didn't note it. I'm learning about repentance. My personality type and my background is, is I, come, I have a German background. I have this kind of sense of right and can I, can I admit fault and whatnot. And the Lord is teaching me what does it mean to repent, to give up your rights, Randy, to shut up, Randy, and just let it doesn't matter, Randy. The Lord's teaching me about that as he's teaching me and persuading me. My role and my call as a teaching elder is to persuade the flock of God. And for your senior pastor as he comes here to break open the word for you over and over again, it will be as the Lord is persuading him for him to persuade you not to look at him, but to look at the Lord and to realize he's better. Now, for those who have been around for a long time, we talked just just a minute ago about that can just kind of get to be common. Oh, yeah, I know Jesus is better. Here's, Here's the reality that I find. I don't think he is. There are many moments in my day when something is better than Jesus Christ. And I just need to own that. I just need to to, to let the weight of that and the sin and the shock and horror of that sit on my soul. There are days and moments where I thought something else was better. And if I can reflect or have someone help persuade me and look back this way again, I can then repent of that and I can turn to him in faith and believe the gospel because he is better. That's the truth. My mind just got warped by the world and my, and my sin nature somewhere along the way. So the role of a leader is to do that. So obey your leader. Uh, uh, permit your leader to persuade you. That how will you do it? How will you permit yourself to be persuaded? I'm going to take us back up to verse 11. We're going to look to the high priest and see how he did it. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy places of sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And I don't have time to go into that whole whole thing. It's a beautiful picture in, in the Old Testament uh, of how the sacrifice was done here and then the body was taken outside the camp. And, and, and in Leviticus, the Day of Atonement, how uh, the sin offering w- w- was, sent, was sent out. Verse 12, And so Jesus also suffered outside the city 
gate. He was persuaded. He suffered. He was willing to submit to God the Father Almighty. Even though he's equal in power, substance, and glory, he submitted. As we prayed earlier, he served. He's, I'm not coming to be served here. I, I, I came to serve and to give my life. He humbled himself to death on a cross. He was persuaded for the joy set before him that the right thing for him to do was to give his life away. Look to Christ. You won't see that example anywhere else. It's not found. Any other religion, any other anything, worldview, it's not found there. It's only found in the person and work of Jesus that he humbled himself and he was taken outside the camp on Calvary after living a perfect life, no sin, no charge would stand against him. And he was beaten to death and hung on a cross and endured the wrath of God the Father Almighty. He humbled himself. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate. Why? To make the people holy through his own blood. He's made you holy. That's what he did. You're holy. You, you can't be unholy once Jesus has made you holy. And there's such a sense of freedom and rest that comes from that, knowing that you've been made holy eternally by the blood of Jesus. Then you can begin to say, persuade me more. Persuade me more. Help me understand more. Help me think more. Help me live more. Help me die to sin. Help me grow in the grace and the knowledge. I, I want to know more because I stand in grace. I stand holy before a holy God. There's no better place to be in the world. And it's because Jesus went outside the city gate. So, how do you do it? Five ways, very quickly. Number one, I just told you. Remember that. Last time I was here, I think I was talking about remembering that you're a Christian. You know, I forget that often. I wake up in the morning, don't even think about that. Remember you're a Christian. Remember your identity in Christ. The, the world will begin to, to try and confuse you that you are something else. You are not something else first. You are a Christian first. If you are in Christ and you are holy, remember that and set that in the morning as your identity. Number two. Verse 13, let us go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. There's a going to our religion. Some other religions don't have going. They just kind of stay. Our religion is geared to go. He went outside the camp. We are called to go and minister. It could well be by inviting some kids to the missional outreach Easter egg thing. That is a going for you as a church. He calls us to be active and going. And as we go, we will be strengthened in, in the Lord. It's just like going to the gym to work out. Oftentimes, i got to tell you, I don't want to go. But you go, and, and part of the process is feeling better by the doing, by the act of submitting and saying, I will go and I will minister. So I hope for all of you, you're thinking as spring rolls around here now, what is my active service of ministry here? How will I go and how will I minister? And I know, I work with business guys all the time. They are busy. There's a busy life there. And there's a going in the context of your workplace. And that can be your, defined as your going. 
How do I go and how do I minister when I'm on the job? For moms of young kids, there's a going there. You are going and working with young kids. But to view that as this is my ministry, this is my mission, this is where I'm called to go, and there's going to be some suffering. There's some suffering dealing with young kids, isn't there? And just the issues. There's some suffering being on the job, isn't there? We are missionaries. All of us are. We don't just send out missionaries. We are ambassadors. We're ministers of reconciliation. And we are, we are missionaries where we are and where we live, where we play, where we work. You're called to have that mindset to go whatever the camp is that you're supposed to go outside of, to go outside the camp. Remember this verse 14, point three. For here we don't have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. It is so uh, easy for us to get fixated on this life and these times as opposed to realize there is a city that's coming for us. There is an eternity. None of us have more than 100 years left here, I don't think. That's nothing. Some of us have a lot less than 100 years left. I do. And then eternity will come. So to look and live in light of the city that is to come is a healthy way for us to live and not get so uh, hung up with what we're doing presently or, or, or turning to presently. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually, verse 15, offer a sacrifice to God, a sacrifice of praise. We started off the service with that, didn't we? Just praising the Lord for who he is. I know circumstances can be hard and challenging out there, and they need to be ministered through. But to remember over and over again, we bring the sacrifice of praise to our Lord, and to be worshiping him is a healthy thing for us to do. And lastly, don't forget to do good and to share with others. And I've talked about that briefly, this whole idea of what does it mean to share. Remember the offertory? When I prayed, I talked about what does it mean for us to have received something from the Lord and to give something back to him and something to others. So it's a matter of setting up a healthy ecosystem, really, in light of the fact that Jesus came. He went outside the camp. He calls us, go, bring, bring a sacrifice of praise with you. Worship, go and do and minister to others and wait. Wait for the city that is to come. I want to encourage this church uh, that you won't go forward without him. And I know you won't. You won't go forward without him. I believe you'll go forward with him. Outside this camp, this space here, there's, there's a big island and beyond for you to minister to. And I believe that you'll do that. I want to take some time. You'll note uh, that I did not uh, do a pastoral prayer before I preached. I want to take some time now, and I had planned this. Actually, I walked in, and when I walked in, one of those guys with the red badges, see, when they come up to you, they're being friendly. When they come up to me, they're saying, can you do this, can you do this, can you do this? So when they came in, they said, would you do the other stuff in the service? I didn't know I was doing all that, but uh, it worked out fine. But, but uh, when, I, when I was quickly reviewing the pastoral prayer, I thought, you know, I was going to pray for you as a congregation at the end of the sermon. So I'm going to do that now. I want to pray for you, and then I want to pray for your leaders, for, for, for your elders, your, your, your ladies who lead journey groups and other groups here. I just want to bless you and pray for you and ask for the Lord to do a work, and then we'll sing. So let me pray for you first. God, as always, uh, I want to start by coming back to you and repenting uh, for all of us collectively. And, and I know we just confessed some earlier in the service, but the reality is, 
we often see things as better than you. Stuff. Our own lives. Our own concerns. Uh, we want to ask your forgiveness again. We want to turn from that and we want to look to you, even as this author says, you're the author, perfecter of our faith. We want you to perfect us more, to change us more. Give us the affections of Jesus more that we might look to you and we might see the grand and glorious and beautiful work that we have ahead of us as the kingdom comes here. So, Lord, we repent for not acting that way and we ask that that you would help us get it more. We want to understand the gospel more that you're better. Lord, I want to ask that you would help this church now specifically as they receive a new teaching elder that all of them collectively bill all the way through that they would look to you and they would want to be persuaded. Guards would be let down. Rights would be laid down that they would receive what you have for them looking to Jesus, knowing that you lay down your guard, your right, that you might receive the joy set before you in eternity. So I pray, Lord, you would do that and even more. Would you encourage us now? And would you just receive this last song as we we praise your name? You're worthy of it. We pray that you would enjoy. In Jesus' name, amen.